I want to thank you for the incredible privilege of being able to be here. Um, Colleen, thank you all so much. Thank you, McKinley's family. Thank you, Jeremiah, for asking me to be here. What a great honor this is. I was thinking even this morning that whenever Mick would call me and I would answer, he would say, is this the right reverend? And I would hope that I'm not the wrong one. Um, but I'm so grateful to have this opportunity. And I want to say a word to all of us that are here um, in this room and all the different things that we might be feeling as we come. I've been back a few times in the last few years as we have been in occasions like this where we are saying goodbye to people that we love, that we've known for so many years, people that are our family, and we are here again. And I know even this week, uh, grace and peace, you come today and you're thinking about McKinley and mourning his loss and missing him, and at the same time thinking about a tragedy even this week of losing Gabby. And I just wanted to name that as we begin, but also just to say that God is able, however you come today, whatever you come with, whatever feelings it is that it, it brings up to be in this room together in this time with all that you bring today, I want you to know that God is able to handle all of that. And so we can cast all of our cares upon him because he loves us. So that's not the sermon. That's just the introduction to the sermon our sermon, or homily rather, is taken from Psalm 16, the passage that we read a little bit earlier in verses 5 through 11. And I was thinking about what to say, and I was, I was trying to remember the verse that if you called um, McKinley's number, there was a verse that he would quote, or there were several. Um, usually it was, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the, the, the lands, or, or sing unto the Lord with gladness. One of those things, it was something about joy. And so I thought, if I want to talk about McKinley, I want to talk about joy. And I thought of this song, another song that he loved, This Joy That I Have. And you all know that verse. It's this joy that I have. The world did not give it to me. This joy that I have, the world did not give it. And the world cannot take it away. And so we want to talk for just a few moments around the idea, this joy that I have. And I'm going to read verses, just those last three verses again from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. Hear the reading of God's word and then I'll pray. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So shine the light of your word upon us in this time right now, Lord, with all that we come with. We, we come with fond memories of our brother. We come with sadness because we miss him. We have a whole mix of other things that we bring, but we bring them all to you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place. And we pray that you would feel, continue to fill this room and fill these people, fill the preacher, fill us with yourself so that we can understand these words, but not only that, so that we might be able to live in light of them by your power. 
So we ask that you do all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I don't know if you all remember, what was the first time that you met McKinley? Do you remember when that was? My first time meeting him was about nine years ago in the fall of 2012. It was actually on the phone. And I was living in Baltimore, and we were interviewing with the, the pulpit committee here about coming here to Grace and Peace. And, uh, and some of y'all maybe were on that call. There was Heather and Pete and Barbara and Choma. And I think this is before Zoom. So I think they were in a room with a speakerphone. And I was in my house talking with them. And, uh, and, and each person went around and they introduced themselves. They said a little bit about who they are and how long they've been a part of Grace and Peace. And I remember distinctly hearing from McKinley. And he talked about his story of coming to Grace and Peace. And he, he talked about being able to come there and dress however he wanted. That was something that he loved. And he loved to sing. He loved the people. He loved you. He loved this church. And one of the things I remember about that is, is I didn't know him at the time, but I could hear in his voice something that in Baltimore we called a, um, a costly joy costly joy. And what I mean by that is there's, you can tell there was joy in his voice, but you could tell also there was joy, there was pain on the way to that joy. It wasn't a, a superficial joy or a surfacey joy. It was not a don't worry, be happy or put on a happy face kind of joy. It was a joy where you could tell that there was a journey through pain to be able to be in that joyous place. It was a costly Joy. It was kind of like when there's a great storm and all of a sudden the sun begins to peek out. And it doesn't mean the storm hasn't happened. The remnants of the storm are still there. But the sunlight shines more and more and shines into that darkness. So that even though the ground is still wet, you can still feel the power of that sunlight overwhelming it. And that's what I heard in his voice. It was a costly joy. And I didn't know where that came from at the time. It took knowing him to know just a little bit about where that came from. And you all, as you know, Mick, you know his story. And know some of the joys, but also some of the pain. Some of the pain of rejection from people of another race and people of his own race. All this, the suffering he suffered in his own family, in his own life, in his own heart. But yet, in the midst of that, there was a joy that wasn't pretending like the pain wasn't there. It, it overwhelmed the pain to come out and radiate, drawing us to him and drawing us to God. And this is the kind of joy that this psalm talks about. Now the psalmist, as we're looking at this, this psalm, on the one hand, it's a celebration that he's inviting us into, a celebration, but it's not only that. It's not only a celebration of his joy in the Lord. It's also an invitation to other people to know this same joy. And that's what this service is. It's, it's a celebration of his life on the one hand, but not only that, it's also an invitation to all of us are here that we also would know, maybe for the first time, or know more and more deeply this joy that Mick has, this joy that the world cannot take away. He would want us to know this great joy. So we'll look to, at two things really quickly in this passage, as we think about this joy I have, the first joy that we want to look at is the joy of the singers here in this passage. And by the singers, I mean the writer of the passage, David, 
and also McKinley. So what is this joy that they have? And there's a couple things that we have time to point out about it. One, it is a single-minded joy. It is a single-minded joy. Not simple-minded, but a single-minded joy. It's a joy that is ultimately devoted to something, and more than that, to someone. And that starts to come out in some of the verses that we read. In the verses that come before, he's contrasting wanting to be with the people of God and not wanting to be with the people who follow false gods. And then you say, why is that David? And we can say, why is that McKinley? It says, the Lord, in verse 5, is my chosen portion, and he is my cup. And it says, he is, or you hold my lot. And then there's this image in verse 6. It says that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And what that is, it's a picture looking back, really, to the Levites in the Old Testament. All the other tribes would have lots or portions, and it's talking about their land. And in that time, your land was your wealth. That was your identity. That was your security. But for the Levites, they said, no, your portion is not the land, but your portion is the Lord. He is your portion. He is your lot. He is your inheritance. And the psalmist is saying, that's the same thing that's true with me. And McKinley would say, that's the same thing that is true of me. We're going to sing a little bit later a song that says, Give me Jesus. You can have all the other pleasures of the world, but give me Jesus. And at first glance, you might look at that and say, Well, he's just got these blinders on for Jesus. It's not blinders where you're only looking at that and you're not aware of everything else that's going on around you. They're not blinders, but it is a lens. It is a lens through which you look at all of life through through the goodness and the love and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And that's how McKinley lived. The hardest conversation I ever had with McKinley was the day that I called him and told him that I was leaving. McKinley was on the pulpit committee um, again, and, and we were talking about me staying here as a pastor, but we were called to go plan a church instead, and I had to call him on the phone one-on-one to tell him and and he was heartbroken when I told him and he actually was very was silent for a while so I could tell there was something wrong because he didn't say anything but you could tell he was mulling over what happened and then he said to me well and there was pain even in the voice but he said well if that's what God called you to do then that's what you got to do and that was not it wasn't a superficial answer it wasn't church speak I could tell he meant it And he was wrestling with that. And he was saying, not just to me, but even to himself, if that's what God has called him to do, if that's what God has designed to happen, then I am with that. Even though I don't like it, even though that's not what I desire. He had a single-minded joy that was in the Lord to say, well, if that's what he wants me to do, I will do it. Even if I don't want to do that. The other part of his joy, not only is it a single-minded joy, But it was a transcendent joy. It's a joy that overcomes the circumstances around. If you keep reading in this psalm, the psalmist in verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. And then he says, because he is at my right hand, because he is with me, it says, I shall not be shaken. Now what's implied with that? 
is that there are some things around that will shake you. Some of you feel that today. There are things that are shaking you even now. But he's saying, I've got a joy that I can hold on to even in the midst of everything around me that is shaking me. In the next verse in 9, it says, Therefore my heart is glad. And it's not in denial of the circumstances. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. What's implied in that? What's implied is there are things coming against your flesh that would have you not be secure. But he says, because I have the Lord, because I have a joy in him, I will not be shaken and I will be secure. And then finally in verse 10, he talks about the thing that maybe we all fear and we're thinking about it today. And that is the fear of death. But what does the psalmist say? What does the singer say? In verse 10, he says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or to the place of the dead or let your Holy One see corruption or decay. And then he says in verse 11, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that word that's translated fullness there, when it says in your presence there's fullness of joy, it means it's a satiated fullness. It means that it completely fills you up. It's like when you have eaten really good and you are so satisfied, you can't eat another bite. You just want to go to sleep. That's how you feel because you're so satisfied. And that's what he's saying he has in the Lord. I'm so satisfied with him that I am full of joy in him because of who he is. And so this is the the joys of the singer. And we see that not only with David, but we see that in McKinley's life. Now those last three verses I read in the New Testament, and I'll talk about this in a second, but they point to Jesus and they say this is ultimately fulfilled in him, and they are. But actually we know a lot more now than the original writer of this new. Why do I bring that up? Because for them... This was not primarily, primarily a psalm about life and death or a psalm about life after death. For them, it was about the joy of living in the presence of God right now. It's looking forward in hope, but it's not looking past right now. And I'm convicted as I think about that. How often am I looking further ahead or or, or over-spiritualizing things and missing the things that God has right before us, right now, the beautiful blessings that we pass, even on our way here, the things that we take for granted. One of the things I love about McKinley is he didn't do that, is he praised God and looked forward to what was to come, but he enjoyed what was here, whether it was looking at the eagles that were flying over whether it was driving a nice, fast car, whether it was reading and giving away these fantasy novels and talking about them, or whether it was having a great meal and a conversation around that meal, he was present. So that joy was not only later on, it's a joy that was present here. And so these singers, they had a joy that was single-minded and they had a joy that was transcendent. And they invite us, David, but also McKinley. They invite us to know that joy as well. And maybe you're here and you say, well, that's them. That's their personality. 
I remember Kurt would say sometimes, poking fun at himself, he says, I'm just a dour German. I can't get joyful too often. I don't know what your statement is. I'm just a dour what? Whatever you want to put in that or fill in the blank with. You say, I can't be like David. I can't be like McKinley and have that kind of joy. Well, look, we know both of them. We know those guys were not perfect at all. Right? How long was Mickey in this church? 50 years. You know his strength as well as his flaws. Shoot, I was here five years. You know my weaknesses, right? But those guys would not say, oh, just be like me. They would be pointing us ahead to another joy. The joy that was the source of their joy. So as we look at the source or we look at the the joy of the singers, we also have to look at the other joy that this psalm and all of scripture and all of history points to. And that is the joy of the Lord. So not only do we look at the joy of the singers, but we also look at the joy of the Lord. What do I mean? If you go back to verse 11 really quickly, it says, you make known to me the path of life. And then listen to this sentence. Do you remember it says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. But this is one of those places in the Bible where you can legitimately ask, whose joy are you talking about? And you say, well, certainly he's talking about the psalmist's joy, right? The, the joy of being in the presence of the Lord. And of course, of course, that's, that brings incredible joy. But people of God, what an amazing thing if that's not the only joy that this is talking about. What if it's not only talking about his joy in being with the Lord, but what else? What if it's also talking about the Lord's joy of having the psalmist, of having McKinley, of having the church, of having you in his presence? So it's not only talking about your joy, but it's talking about the Lord's joy of having you, of having McKinley, of having his bride, the church. Could it be that it's not just the singer's joy, but it's also the joy of the Lord? Now, there's some other places in Scripture where you find this, and you could go either way with them. There's Nehemiah 8, verse 10, which says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. You heard that verse before, right? Well, whose joy is it talking about? What does it mean when it says the joy of the Lord? We might say, oh, well, that means our joy. Right? That we find in the Lord. And certainly that's true. But what if it's also talking about the joy that the Lord has in his people? The joy that the Lord has in you. The joy that he has in McKinley. What if he also means that? That joy of the Lord is your strength. One other example from the New Testament. My favorite benediction is in the book of Jude. You remember that one? It says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling. And then it says, to present you before his glorious presence. And do you remember how? Without fault and with great joy. And so we think, oh, there's great joy because we're going to be presented by God to God. That's amazing. There's great joy with that, right? We're going to be presented to God and blameless. Like we're going to sing in a minute. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. We're going to sing that in a minute. 
And so that brings a glorious joy, doesn't it? Oh, but what if that isn't the only joy that it's talking about? What if it's not just our joy at being in his presence, but what if it's also the joy of God of presenting his people to himself without fault and with great joy? What if it's him being joyful at being able to present McKinley to himself? What if it's him being joyful at being able to present you to himself? You say, Pastor, you're just too optimistic. Come on, man, you're you're stretching it out. That's just wishful thinking. All right, fair enough. You know my personality. But let's think, can we find some other places in the Scripture that talk about God rejoicing over his people? There's one that, I'm going to come to that in a second. Thank you, Doug. Did you see my notes? There's one thing before that, all right? I did a wedding a couple months ago. And it was at this beautiful venue outdoors. It was right on the lake, and, and it was outside. And, um, and I remember the, the bride, where she was coming from with her dad, she had to walk about 50 yards. They walked together before they got to the place where the crowd was seated. And so what the groom and bride wanted to do is the groom says, I don't want to see her until she's right at the end of the aisle. And so he turned around and is looking at the water while she's walking down to, to the crowd. And so finally she gets to the aisle, and I was instructed. I turned him around, and he saw her. And I'm telling you, his heart almost jumped out of his chest. And he had a smile that you couldn't chisel off of his face. And it reminded me of that passage in Isaiah 62 that says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, and that's what he was doing. But the rest of the verse says, so the Lord rejoices over his people. Now, if my friend that's standing right here is rejoicing with all of his heart over the Lord, how much more, how much more does our God rejoice over his people? How much more does our God rejoice over you, over McKinley, over the psalmist? How much more? Now, what did Doug say? Zephaniah chapter 3. Is that right, Doug? All right. That's the other one I want to point out. And do you know that song, that that verse? It's a song too. But it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who is mighty to save. And then it says, on the one hand, he will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Not just singing, but loud singing. And so Neil did a great job of taking pictures of McKinley. On the back of your your program, it has a picture of McKinley singing. And he's rejoicing over the Lord with singing. Oh, but how much more? How much more glorious is it to know that the Lord (laughs) rejoices over McKinley and the Lord rejoices over his people and the Lord rejoices over you today with singing? He's not having his arm twisted, saying, oh, I guess I got to get Jesus died for him. I guess I'll save him. He rejoices over his people with singing. And that isn't just true for McKinley. It's not just true for David. That's true for you as well. And you say, well, how can I know this? Maybe some of us need to be reminded. You say, we know that already, but 
We're not feeling it, right? We know it in our heads. But we're not feeling it. We're not feeling it experientially. And so what do we need to be reminded of? Maybe there's one more passage about joy and the Lord's joy. And that's in Hebrews 12. Do you remember that? Where it talks about Jesus Christ. And it says that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And then do you remember it says for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where he lives to intercede for you, to intercede for me. So what joy is it talking about that's set before him there in that passage? You think, well, of course, the joy of completing the work of the Father, right? And the joy of being at the Father's right hand. Absolutely, that's the joy. But could it also be that in addition to that, there's also the joy of getting you, the joy of getting McKinley, for the joy that was set before him, the joy of completing his father's will, the joy of being at his father's right hand, but also the joy of having you. And so you say, Pastor, how is it that we can know this joy? Well, in the, Old, in the New Testament, rather, in Acts, Peter and Paul refer to this passage, this Psalm 16, and they say it is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus is the one who was not ultimately abandoned to the grave. Jesus is the one, ultimately, whose flesh did not see corruption, but who was raised from the dead, and given a resurrection body. And so what does all that mean? Well, both Peter and Paul, they say, well, the psalmist, he's celebrating being delivered from death here, but he died eventually, right? And they say, you can go and look up his grave. But what Jesus did, the greater David, is he wasn't delivered from death on the cross, but he was delivered to death. Why? So that he can deliver us so that he can deliver McKinley, so he can deliver the bride of Christ, so he can deliver you from death, ultimately. And finally, that's what he did. The good news today is because God did not abandon him to the grave, but raised him up, that also means that God has not abandoned McKinley to the grave, but will raise him up. And he will not abandon you but will raise you up again. He's not only made known to us the path of life, but he has made the path of life so that we can know the fullness of his joy in his presence. It's not just the joy that McKinley has. It's not just the joy that the psalmist has. This is the joy that we have. This is the joy that we can have fully in the presence of God. Through Jesus Christ, make this your joy today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that says no eye has seen and no ear has heard. No heart of man has imagined what you have prepared for those who love you. And so, Lord, as we think of that, we're even as we're sad and we miss McKinley, as we think about the other 
folks who have gone on before that we love. We are so grateful for these promises that you give us of what you have prepared for those who love you. And Lord, I pray for us that we would not be satisfied just to know that it's for them, but we would grow more and more with you. Not just knowing about the joy, but knowing it through knowing you. Holy Spirit, move in the hearts of all that are in this room that we might know you more and more. Fill us with more and more of yourself. Bring to life any that are in darkness, even right now, that are, in, that are dead right now. I pray you bring them to life. And all this, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen.